let's talk money. Truth is, sometimes honest, hardworking folks need a little extra, and some banks don't always make it fast or easy. But I'll tell you who does. Avant. Finally, there's a company who gets it. If you need a personal loan anywhere between $1,000 to $35,000, Avant can help without ever stepping foot in a bank branch. Simply go to AvantOffer.com and check your competitive rate. Checking your rate is risk-free with no effect on your FICO score. Complete your application in minutes, and the funds could be in your account as soon as tomorrow. See how easy and convenient borrowing is through AvantOffer.com. Avant will give you a $50 Amazon.com gift card after you make your first payment on time. For this offer to check your rate risk-free, go to AvantOffer.com and enter promo code GILBERT. That's A-V-A-N-T-Offer.com. Promo code GILBERT. AvantOffer.com. Promo code GILBERT. Loans made by web bank funds are generally deposited via ACH for delivery next business day if approved by 4.30 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. FICO is a registered trademark of Fair Isaac Corporation, Amazon is not a sponsor of this promotion. Other restrictions apply. See website for details. I was just being polite. Oh, oh, okay. Because you said hi, so I would say hi back. Can we adjust the mic? I think there's an echo hi. on this one. Echo. Hi. Hi. <laughs> oh, damn it. I can't get this thing to work. No, it's fine. Just I just yeah. wanted to greet yeah. you. It wouldn't I'm in okay. your home. Yes. A fellow says hi in your home, yes. you say hi back to him. Yeah. Okay. Hi. Hi. <laughs> well, hello. Hello. But I would say hi to the audience. Oh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say hi to the audience this too. This is uh uh Gilbert Gottfried. What is it? Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. (laughs) You read your own intro. Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Can you do it in my voice? Oh, this is... (laughs) Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing, Astonishing uh, Podcast. Hi, I'll start again. Hi, this is... This is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Our guest this week is our our first guest to make a return appearance on the show, which will tell you how well my career is going. He's an illusionist, a writer, best-selling author, actor, comedian, producer, and half of the legendary comedy and magic duo Penn & Teller. He's also the filmmaker behind 
critically acclaimed. I just took the Bobcat Goldthwait. Critically acclaimed documentary. Suck. Documentary suck. Documentaries such as the aristocrats. He's a critically acclaimed documentaries that suck, like the aristocrats at Tim's Vermeer. Oh, it was a joke. Oh, that's right. It's Gilbert Gottfried, and he represents himself as a comedian, although his Saturday Night Live career would not give you any indication of that. Or maybe I should say his stunningly funny SNL career, because then you would hear, but wait a minute, it wasn't that, so it must have been a joke. It kind of it's, had a double-edged double meaning. Well, not double meaning, a single meaning. He wasn't it was fun. kind of sarcastic, It was in a not way. really so much sarcastic, it's just inaccurate. It's kind of like if it was raining so instead. This is a nice boy, day. Boy, it's a very nice yeah. day. Make sure you get your umbrella. Why'd you say umbrella? Because you like the rain? No, I don't like the rain. I don't like the rain at all. It's why I say one thing and mean another. It's what comedy is. Now, comedy Comedy usually has some sort of surprise. Or like impact. if I hit my head and I said, Oh, my head feels great or now. Or you say, Boy, yeah. that feels better than getting kicked in the ass with a frozen boot. And you say, But getting kicked in the ass with a frozen boot. That doesn't boot. feel good. Yeah. It's Broadway show entitled <laughs> Clever. I'm spinning all over my microphone, which makes this worth a lot more on eBay. Because <laughs> it really wouldn't be. It wouldn't be worth anything on eBay. Because when you come Right you know, Johnny Carson used to sit around and say, what's funny? And we used to try to figure out what's funny. And it turns out, if you're Gilbert Gottfried, simply saying something that's not true. That's funny. Like I watched Simple. Johnny Carson last night. No, you he didn't. hasn't been on for decades. For decades. So that's funny. Motherfucker's dead. He's How dead is he? He's dead as a hammer. Now you say, why just say dead as a hammer? A hammer's not really ever been alive, so it wouldn't really be dead. Do you have any squid material? Uh, cleverly enough, Penn and Teller on Broadway, it's not clever. Yeah. It's a simple declarative <laughs> statement. It's now playing... And I could say, watch it like uh, being by yourself on stage, because you're not. I'm not by you're myself. You're in a team. Well, actually, <laughs> that's not funny, because if you don't tell her, I'm by myself. Yes, you <laughs> It's kind of like saying to a guy oh, yeah. who has a 40-pound okay. weight around this neck as he swims the English Channel. You had all that help of the 40-pound weight around your neck as you swam the English Channel. And the guy would say, well, it's not really help. It's kind of like warming up with a lead baseball and say, bat. Well, and you say, why do you have a baseball bat when you're swimming the English Channel? And when he's swimming, I could yell out, don't get wet. Yeah, you could yell that out. That would be comedy because you're be in the ocean. Also, don't get salty. Yes, Because there's salty. salt in it. It's a yeah. Saline solution. It's a saline solution. Penn and Teller on Broadway is now playing to sold out houses, which is funny because, because nobody empty. shows up. It's I was there. There was not one, not one person not one in the audience. Person. You can't even say one other person because you left. You, you weren't play even there. Football you in the play, theater. You could play the park cars. As a matter of fact, they gave you a little red jacket and someone gave you a 20. They gave you a 20 because you had a red jacket and a flashlight. You were holding a flashlight, which you know is kind of funny because it doesn't flash. No. It's, it's just it's constant just, light. It's odd. It's very Unless funny. Unless the batteries are and his, getting weak. And his TV See, so series, well, then it would be yeah. intermittent, not yeah. so much flashing. <laughs> but 
you know, in comedy, in comedy, if you say something's flashing and it's actually intermittent, that's called subtle comedy. Yes. That would be like John Stewart. If you would say Henny Youngman, he would say flashing and the light would be off. But John Stewart, he would say flashing and the light would be intermittent. And that's where we've come to comedy in 50 years. We've gone from off to intermittent. His show series, Penn and Teller Fool Us, can currently, which is not true because yeah. it's on once a week, can yeah. currently see, be seen. So, so that's funny. Here, on, it's can that, currently, this is nothing see? but comedy fucking gold. And I say comedy gold, and you say, well, that's funny because this isn't funny. I think Charlie so Chaplin funny, wrote that. He sure did. Charlie, the little tramp, one of my favorite characters. <laughs> I think Groucho would have sounded like this. Yeah. Please welcome a man who has been a close, which is funny because we're not personal, yes. which we never are. No. Friend of mine, which we aren't. No. For longer than he wants to think about, which is true and therefore not funny. Hey. Pen Gillette. And I'm very tall and you're very short. Very short. See? Very. See? That's, that's funny. Double funny. Comedy. It's it's just a little. This is the production of, of Mice and Men with yeah. Two Lennies. Wow. Hello, Gilbert. How are you? Wow. Now you don't often come on a show, and right when you look in your glass, there's black shit floating. <laughs> now we're gonna hope. We apologize. We're for gonna that. hope that's a coffee ground. That's a coffee. Is yeah. is it walking? It's not yeah. actually. This is one of those. You know when you have food, when there's a little bit of food on your d- d- copper plate uh, because it's not washed properly and that when you just when you just poke it with your finger it's somehow not that disgusting but when you have to pick at it then it's really unpleasant oh, yeah. this is a kind of this is a kind of this is what we call filth that you have to I have to pick at it actually has some texture to it you know so i went i was moving in with a uh, woman who was a bartender at a topless restaurant. Yeah. Oh, it sounds good. Yeah. So but far. she did not work topless because when you're behind the bar, you can't work topless because there are laws about that. Because when nipples interact with alcohol, it's like, remember 70 years ago in Hiroshima? <laughs> I just spit right in your face. Good timing. You don't want to get, you do not want to get tits near alcohol. <laughs> which is why, which is why your bartender. See, she was a, she was in a topless bar as a bartender, and we were moving in together. And we thought we were grown ups, you know. Yeah. So you know, we thought, oh, we won't just fuck. We'll also move in together because when you're young, you think that's a yeah. good idea. <laughs> Very bad idea. Pretty soon, they're making your friends look at old art of yours on the wall. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, uh, so. Uh, we went to uh, Macy's, or can I say Macy's? Yeah. No. On uh, a department, let's just say a department yeah. store in California. And she wanted to pick out plates. Now, I can't argue with her because at this point, I was a magician and she was a bartender in a topless bar. So just, just a show of hands, who knows who was making the money in the family? <laughs> I was, she, she had all the money. I had no money at all. She supported us completely. So she wanted to buy plates. So I had to go and buy plates with her. Now, if it were my money, it'd be fuck you, we'll eat off paper plates. Yes. Better off, eat off my dick. <laughs> but we were going to buy plates. And I said, and this is when I probably knew that I should stick with magic and not try to be a comedian. I said to the, uh, to the, to the, uh, 
the, the, the salesperson in the plate department. And, you know, we were in our 20s, and, she, and one of us was really attractive, you know. <laughs> and uh, we looked like a uh, loving young couple up, up, about to go to Thailand on our honeymoon and fuck females. <laughs> and uh, like, like the two but people. But you can get them cheap, so it's okay. <laughs> we don't like the word cheap. Yeah. Affordable. <laughs> affordable chicks with dicks. Yeah, affordable chicks with yeah. dicks. And uh, she was very attractive. So she said, uh, we'd like to pick out some plates for our new house. We bought, actually bought our house from her parents. So she was living in the, her parents' house. We bought their house with her money. And um, we are going to buy plates. And I was feeling, I was trying to feel domestic. But, of course, at that point, like now, I was a creep. <laughs> so I was, you know, I was a weird guy. Not the kind of guy you'd want to go to Macy's and pick out plates with unless you were her. And uh, she, unless you were she. And, uh, oh, so, and, uh, so, uh, we're there standing there. You have like Gilbert Tourette's. <laughs> yeah, just, yes, do. <laughs> Kike. Uh, I wish we'd been on video too because that impression of Gilbert was so visual during yeah. the intro. Yeah. Well, you just have to eliminate your eyes. Yeah. They miss so much. <laughs> it's the, my, my impersonation of Gilbert Gottfried and Oedipus Rex, identical. <laughs> I just wanted to show that it could be a little classy, that it wouldn't be all. You know, if in one show I hear chicks with dicks and Oedipus Rex, and Oedipus is pronounced in a kind of a kind of a pedantic way, like you're going to, uh, you know, Amherst College, but not Princeton, but Amherst, and you say Oedipus Rex and, and Oedipal Complex. If you got chicks with dicks and Oedipus Rex in one podcast, I'm saying, oh, this covers the high and the low. Like Shakespeare, he talks about life and death and makes a fart joke. Oh, um, So we were there in the uh, Macy's. Yes. And uh, they're showing us plates, because we're buying plates. Now, just how much? How much do you think I have an opinion on what plates I have? Uh, yes, none whatsoever. No, 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 no. But I wanted to be funny. See, yeah, oh. this is this is the last moment I ever tried to be funny. Yeah. Ever, after that, I was just honest and let people laugh at me. Yeah. Which you know, D. Snyder uh, noticed that about me that I very rarely. Uh, do sarcasm or satire or tell a joke. I simply state what I believe honestly, and then people laugh at me. <laughs> That's my idea of comedy. This may have been the last time I tried to do a joke. I'm there with a very, very attractive redhead, okay? Very attractive, beautiful woman. And I'm, you know, Sasquatch there, standing there, big and dumb, with big hair hanging to my face, and, you know, ugly as the bottom of your foot. <laughs> And uh, we're standing there, and they're going, you know, the salesman's looking at me and go, well, he doesn't have money. I guess he has the largest dick in Christendom. <laughs> and um, so we're there looking, looking at the plates, and, and he said, do you know what kind of pattern you're looking for? And we, I said, this is what I thought was hysterical. I said, we're looking for a, a kind of pattern that won't show the stains. Like if there's dried egg on it, you won't notice it. What's something that won't show stains? To me, that was the funniest thing in the world. I waited. I waited for them to go. You know, 
like on a rug you wouldn't want stage this show. Or on a white shirt when you're going out to eat spaghetti. But on a plate, you really don't want stains to be hidden because you wouldn't want to find with your fork. Like you're eating a piece of coleslaw and then your fork goes over the yellow part of the plate and you realize there's gelatinous egg yolk stuck there from the last cycle of the dishwasher. You were waiting for them to go, hey, he's a regular Gilbert Godfrey. (laughs) I was waiting for that. He says that uh, he doesn't want the food to be shown rather than just washing the food off the plate like the plates are dirty. And they both uh, looked at me. And then I waited a moment. I said, <laughs> that was my way of signaling it. You know how, how, um, how George Burns would finish a joke and then use yes. the cigar oh, yes, yes. as timing, right. and Jack Benny would maybe just look into space? You know, my way was we kind of wanted to, let me do the whole thing. Don't interrupt me. Or- I want you to hear the exact timing. <clears throat> we were kind of looking for a, uh, a pattern that wouldn't show food stains. That was my time. (laughs) (laughs) And when I went... (sighs) So that was kind of like Foghorn Foghorn Leghorn going, that's a joke, son. Well, Well, at least Foghorn Leghorn had the testicles to go, that's a joke. (laughs) I didn't even have the guts. I just kind of went... (laughs) 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 And she said, uh, well, yeah, maybe I'll pick out the pattern. That was an epiphany for you. It was not an gonna, epiphany not for me. Go into I said maybe I'll work a little bit more in Charlie's Pass and learn to do a good, decent card tricks because otherwise I'm not going to make a living. And you know I'm not going to have strippers support me the rest of my life. Turned out I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was worried. Always good to have. A- I remember being at a strip club with me. We, yeah. I mean, I want to make this very yeah. clear. We were both patrons. You yes. went to the strip club and one of us was working. And and. And I remember that there was a female bartender, of yep. course, and what she would do, she wanted to get tips, and she yep. so she didn't want, yeah. yeah, so she didn't want her tits covered. So she would like when she'd lean over to ask your order, she would with her finger like kind of pull down. Uh, the top of her shirt. Like your uncle with the fart joke? Yeah, yes. Well, pull down the finger, yeah, not pull She'd she yeah. put her finger, like, at her uh, shirt and pull it aside or down to show her nipple. I'll give a little shot of the nipple. Yeah. But make sure that alcohol doesn't touch it or poof, Nagasaki. Yes. When they pass that law that in some strip clubs, if they serve alcohol, the nipples have to be covered. Mm-hmm. They got around it by putting clear tape. Oh, even on, better. Yeah. Oh, no, they went as, in Jersey, because yeah. everything's better in Jersey. In <laughs> Jersey, they knew, I happen to know an off. I have, uh, I won't say it's a, a vocation, but cert- it was a vocation at times, but uh, an avocation certainly for, uh, for uh, well, banging the shit out of strippers. <laughs> and so I've, I've known many of them very, very well. They will take, let me demonstrate. See, now he... Get the cam ready. Yeah. They will take um, clear nail... You're with me on this, right? You've done this. Okay, can I tell the audience Penn is now showing his nipple? His shirt is open, and and he's showing his nipple. Bring your finger over here. And I'll never get another heart. I'm not touching your nipple. Frank, Frank, this is why you're here. You don't pay me enough. It's very, very hard. You you were looking to monetize. Here it is. Feel how hard my nipple is. 
Frank is touching uh, Penn's nipple. Yes, and with yeah. full consent. Yeah. Even in Ohio, in a college, that would have been allowed. <laughs> even if we were at Oberlin or even at Antioch College, <laughs> that would have been a sexual encounter that was acceptable. I asked you to touch my nipple. Yeah, I'm comfortable you did. in my masculinity. Yeah, sure. Yes. That has nothing to do with what I was I saying. Understand. I was talking okay. about the laws about. So you're, he touched your prank. Touch. They will your take. Now, you with me on this? Because you might want to do this when you're in Thailand. <laughs> um, no, you'll have to touch some testicles. Uh, yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, we you, should explain that we're here with our engineer and his new bride, and they're headed to Thailand on yes. their honeymoon. Yes. So and we, all, we only know to an imaginary podcast. For right? me, there's one reason to go to Thailand. Yes. Right. And uh, and that is uh, you know trans trans people. Um, <laughs> and the Thai food. Okay, so to... now he's licking his lip. Uh, no, he's licking his finger. You're licking... Now, now see, he's, licking he's setting finger. up testimony that he does not know his lip from his finger. Yeah. So when he is deposed in the Cosby <laughs> trial, he'll be able to go, Oh, I have some previous information, Your Honor, that shows that the word nipple and the word finger are the same to me. You take a little bit of clear nail polish. Oh, my God. And they put clear nail polish on yes. it. Yes. And then they say, officer, my nipple is covered with clear nail polish. And I know that because uh, one of my girlfriends in Jersey, when she would come home from work, my job was to gently put the acetone on her nipple to get off the... Uh, that the would make a great movie. <laughs> sort of like the dresser yes. with Albert Finney. I think what he means is you take the five-second process of putting acetone right, on the needle. it would be a short. And slow it down yeah. to an hour and a half. Right. Or it could be a Three Stooges short. <laughs> and the stripper could go... Are you sure you three guys know what you're doing? That could have been someone's job. You think that was someone's job at the club? It was my job. <laughs> right, but, but you were in a relationship with her. I mean, but someone at the club actually had to take relationship? the... Relationship? The, uh, the, relationship? You think it was the, a relationship? The laminate? If you are taking acid... You're using acetone to take a uh, nail polish remover off the nipple of a woman in Jersey, we don't call that a relationship. Okay? In Thailand, that's a legal marriage. Uh, Speaking of the podcast not being heard for 40 years, uh-huh. what do you make of this news that the day the clown cried is you know, going to find its way into headline. circulation? I only find the headline. Yeah, 10 years but from is, now. Is there a, uh, yeah, 10 years from now. Yeah. And is the movie cut? Is it? That I don't know. I don't I don't know that it's so. been, now, I don't know that been assembled. Did Belzer see it? No, Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer saw it, yeah. Yeah. And have you read the script? You don't read. You, uh, but you, this, I glanced through it. Someone yeah. sent me this script. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah available. the script is available yeah. online. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so um, I don't think we've ever talked about it, though, Jerry, on this Jerry show. Lewis is a clown in Germany, and he gets... Okay, we'll get to the movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Helmut Dork. Yes. Yeah. And he gets, As a matter of fact, you know, I auditioned for Ishtar. Oh, I, that's I, a scoop. I auditioned for Ishtar, and I went in with uh, Elaine May. She directed it. Yeah. Right? Way with Elaine May, and she said to me, uh, it was with the producers, this is a, very much like the story of I want a plate pattern that doesn't show stains. Oh, yeah. uh, and she said to me, uh, we're doing this movie, Ishtar, and you've got your pages. Let me just give you a little bit of the backstory. Um, Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman are washed-up entertainers. I said, oh, it's a documentary. 
And there was not a smile in the room. There was not the slightest twinkle of a grin. They just went, <laughs> and I went, <laughs> which is my trademark. Went a joke, <laughs> and I mean, it just went nowhere. And they barely auditioned me after that. They were really, really? pissed that I what made that joke. What part were you auditioning for? Was it Jack Weston's part? Or I don't Broden know. Part? I don't remember. Uh-huh. The, you you have the movie memorized. Well, we had Paul Williams on the show a couple oh, of weeks yeah, ago, well, I, and he I, wrote all those crazy songs oh, for the movie. The, the, the intentionally bad songs uh-huh. that they sing. Well, you know, uh, yeah. Well, he, well yeah, they yeah, Paul to Williams tries to claim, oh, yeah, uh, Rainbow, uh, uh, Not Easy Being Green, intentionally bad. <laughs> Why are there so many songs about rainbows trying to be silly, trying to be bad? Uh, rainy days and Mondays always get me down. Just a howl and how bad it was. Just slapping at the uh, the table and how how fun. Well, That's a howl. It was a Paul. challenge for him because the songs were supposed to be. I know. You know, I, know. Yeah. I know Paul. We, yeah. I don't call him Paul, you know. Do I you? call him Lanky. <laughs> That's my nickname Lanky. Because when uh, I, like I met him, you know, I, uh, his, his, he's got his, uh, the woman he's on with, Tracy. Yeah, Tracy Jackson. Tracy Jackson he's on with. And I walked in, and uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson was also there, and I know Neil for a while. And um, Neil and I were standing there, and then Tracy came in and said, goodness, Penn, how much weight have you lost? And I said, you know, over 100 pounds. And she said, wow, you look lanky. And Paul Williams said, uh, my whole life, I've always wanted to be called lanky. And I said, <laughs> for the rest of my life, I shall call you oh, lanky. sweet. So we then went and did the podcast, and every time I had to refer to him, I would say, you know, my friend Lanky, who I've known for years, and Tracy would always try to jump in explaining why I was calling him Lanky, and I would never let her. And I wanted people to just go, Lanky, huh? why would you? So anyway, Lanky was talking about Ishtar, and I don't know what part they had, because I'm telling you, they were pissed off. That's interesting. They were pissed off, and, I, and that seems like the obvious joke to make, doesn't it? Yeah. You wouldn't be pissed yeah. off by that. But. You'd think someone like Elaine May would have a sense of humor about something like well, that. Well, Elaine May was great, yeah. right? What yeah. did she do that was good? Oh, well, Nichols and May. <laughs> well, Nichols and May. Do you know a pen moment kid. I had? Oh, good. Now, is, now we're using pen moment as a term when you say something that's not funny. When you say something that's not funny. Good. I hope that catches on in the nomenclature. I, I was <laughs> on the Tonight Show and, and Harrison Ford. With, uh, with Johnny Carson? Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, it's Jack Park. <laughs> and Harrison Ford was on, and he said, uh, you know, I'm a big fan, and I loved you in The Aristocrats. I love dope. And, and, and I can't... <laughs> and I... I can't leave well enough alone, like, rather than just say, oh, thank you. Yeah. Which would have been a fine response. Yes. Now, is this on the air? Uh, no, no. They're backstage, and, and I shook his hand, and I go... Oh, thank you. And you are? Uh-huh. And it was basically, all it needed was a... <laughs> 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 and it was like the longest three seconds wow. of my life after that. And then did he finally say Harrison Ford? Uh, yes. Oh, that's great. Oh. Yes. So I would say yeah. in that exchange, yeah. Harrison Ford wins. Yeah, absolutely. It wins big. Absolutely. And I'm saying... And to this day, I'm going, why didn't I just say, oh, thank you? Yeah. Well, you know. I like Blade Runner. When I can't sleep at night and I wake up in a cold sweat of what a failure and awful person I am, (laughs) it almost always revolves around why didn't I just say thank you? 
Oh, God. Why did I, didn't I just say thank you? Why did I say, fuck you, you miserable asshole? Instead of just saying thank you. Why didn't I just say thank you? As a matter of fact, Hitler in the bunker. Why didn't I just say thank you? They made me chancellor. I could have just said thank you. Why'd I have to go a step further? I could have gotten a nice office and been there now. Sure. And Charlie Manson. They let me. They let me out of prison. I had five women who would do anything sexually for me. Why didn't I just say thank you? They listened to my crappy songs. Yeah, Yeah. I had the Beach Boys coming over. And, you know, if you read about the Charlie Manson stuff, you know, the sexual stuff to me is the most important part because they would do anything there. You know, I, I, you know, I, I always aspire to polymorphous perverse. And um, why, why do you cross that line? Why, after you've had a yeah, four-day orgy with eight women and you, why don't you just go, Thank you. Instead of going, I've got an idea. Let's go carve up a uh, pregnant woman. Yeah, start a race war. Yeah. yeah start a race war. Yeah. But, of course, yeah. he, he failed so miserably yeah. at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I like how in prison now he's got a swastika tattoo on his head. Yeah. Well, you know, Dennis what? Miller had that great joke where he said, before going to his parole he- hearing, Charlie Manson carved a swastika to his head. What better way to signal to the parole board that you've got your personal shit together? <laughs> But I won't do that in Dennis Miller's voice. You do Dennis Miller, don't you? You have a good voice of Dennis. Uh, just basically, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't he have a fiance in prison recently? Char- yes, Charlie was yes. going to get married. But then he said, oh, this- ah! <laughs> you know, I sit with my uh, with my iPad and I read uh, I read the New York Times most days, and some days I just go. Ah! <laughs> Charlie Manson. Busted his fiance, saying she doesn't really love me. She's crazy. She's just in it for the publicity. <laughs> That's cold. Now, what level do you get at where Charlie Manson is calling you out as crazy completely correctly? Every word of that, by the way is absolutely true, right? <laughs> there was nothing crazy about that at all. So it's as old Charlie Manson walked into Macy's and said, you know, um, the joke about the pattern not showing food stains, not particularly funny, and they're not going to get it. Just let your girlfriend, who's having a wonderful time and is paying for everything, pick out a pattern that she likes and say, that's very nice, dear. Why don't yeah. you do that? Thanks, Charlie. Yeah, like Charles Manson going... Harrison Ford's a fine actor. Tell him he's a fine actor. <laughs> or simply say thank yeah. you. Yes. <laughs> you could have done your, Kelly, your, your, your Amish bit, your Kelly McGillis oh, thing. Yes. You could have done that for him. Yeah. Sure. You should say, why, thank you, Mr. Ford. It's Mr. an honor. Thank you. Yes. And, uh, and yeah. walked away. Yeah. And uh, Harrison Ford goes, you know, the fellow with the swastika on his head, giving you fine advice. <laughs> he makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> he's giving... Fine, fine advice. You know, he, he, you could follow him, Gilbert, and you'd be better off. Charlie Manson coming in and going, if you're going to be on Saturday Night Live, try to be funny. <laughs> Charlie Manson coming in and going, I really don't think Alan Thicke is going to knock Carson <laughs> off the air. <laughs> you know, uh... Try to look down from the swastika of my forehead. 
I don't think Chevy Chase will be that good a talk show host. <laughs> wow, that's a reference. <laughs> so you don't want to talk about the day the clown cried. I do. We, yeah. get to, we were yeah. talking about that. Yeah. We were talking about that. So you got to understand how Gilbert and I talk. I got it. <laughs> Can you demonstrate how I talk? <laughs> yes, I can demonstrate how you talk. You want to talk about the day the clown cried? So, Jerry Lewis, a Jew. I say Gesundheit after I say a Jew because it kind of sounds, sounds like, like a shoe, a which means I sneeze. And then saying Gesundheit because that's German for to your health, which actually is not as polite as people think because Gesundheit is actually saying we think you're some sort of fucking leper who's sneezing all over the place. So, 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 so. Now he's hitting oh, so. He's got the mic moved. So, yeah, he's got it. Yeah. So, he's good at that. So, so, so you're saying is a Jew. He is a joke. I'm back to the German. So he plays a clown who leads the children, the Jew children, the Jew, the kite children, into the gas chamber to have them killed. And this is supposed to be his opus, his major work. It's the day, see, the clown cries because he made such a shitty movie that it's breaking his heart. Uh, how much did you read of it? Uh, I did you read the whole I, thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're the, well, really the, the scholar. Par- uh, apparently, he changed the script. I mean, he added the slapstick. Uh-huh. The, 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 the script was a more serious attempt. But he wrote the script. No, it was written by two other people. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, a woman and a man. And one with uh, a swastika. And uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the, as the story goes, he, he think, added funny. Excuse me. Um, I may have a swastika on my head. But I don't think that a movie about a clown leading Jewish children to their uh, death during the Holocaust will be a big seller. Good idea, Chuck. <laughs> well, you guys are Jerry fans and, J- and Jerry yes. uh, aficionados. Why do you think he would, after, after burying it all this time, why do you think he would suddenly... By the way, with, and with the provision that it not be released for 10 years... After which point Jerry will be gone. I think Jerry at some point has to, uh, feels he has to, as the kids say, own it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's been so underground. I would bet that someone is in his ear, like Belzer or one of the people that he likes and respects, uh, telling him that. You know, I've told this story many times. I won't tell it here. But, you know, I tried to be a little um, cynical and analytical about Jerry Lewis. And then I met him. And, you know, those childhood hero things, you just, you just completely melt. But I do have one observation. Can, you can do a Jerry Lewis impersonation. Oh, yeah. It, it, the serious Jerry Lewis with the imaginary lozenge, right? <laughs> yes, yes. With, as, as a filmmaker and an artist, uh, <clears throat> it behooves me. Now, do the be, thing where he does, yeah. where he... Um, uh, tra- I'll get it. Yeah. Where he trashes Dean Martin while pretending to build him up. You know when he goes to think. Oh, of, yes. No one thought yes. Dean was funny, but I realized he was the talented one. Oh, oh my God! Do do that with a lozenge. Okay, that's Jerry. Ignore right. that yeah. ringing phone. That's yeah. Jerry's people. Yes. Okay, let it ring one more time. Okay, good. good. Okay, this was Jerry Lewis was talking. Uh, he was like saying he was. Defending, mm-hmm. like uh, Dean Martin, and this is this is this is fast. And he was totally serious. And he tells the reporter, "Goes now when Dean and I 
were together. And he takes out a scrapbook. And he goes, Dean was ignored. Like this review in the Times. Jerry Lewis is a creative genius. And nothing about Dean. (laughs) This one in Variety. Jerry Lewis is the modern-day chaplain. And not a word about Dean Martin. And he keeps going on. Like Incredible. That. Never got the credit. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's what I the kids reali- call the humble brag. Yeah. I realized. Well, so far beyond that. Yeah. yeah. Beyond so it. far beyond that. Uh, I realized, and when I realized this, um, it, it just it just hit me like a diamond bullet. You know, uh, Jerry Lewis. I'm uh, Jerry Lewis. In that, in that voice, in that sense, uh, Lou Reed. Now, Lou Reed was a good friend of mine, and uh, I, I miss him tremendously, and, and one of my biggest heroes, and I loved Lou. But I realized, and I told Lou this, um, that when Lou was speaking seriously about the Velvet Underground, he sounded exactly like Jerry Lewis in that tone. Wow. He would go, when we were doing the Velvet Underground. <laughs> People did not realize the brilliance of John Cale. They would talk about Lou Reed's songwriting, Lou Reed's guitar playing, Lou Reed's singing. Not a word about John Cale. And he did the imaginary lozenge. Wow. And of course, I can't do the impersonation. But go to YouTube and pull up some serious... Lou Reed interviews and some serious Jerry Lewis interviews. And I think they may be, I may, I may not be talking about attitude as much as I'm talking about age when the interviews were done and also where they're from. I believe they're from, uh, where's Jerry from? Uh, oh, uh, Jersey. Jersey. Jersey, yeah. yeah. I, but I, I guess, I guess uh, Lou's from Long Island. But I don't know. The accent sounds identical to me. So maybe a very similar culture. And I remember I was at the uh, Letterman show. He used to host uh, a late night yeah. talk show. Remember David Letterman? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we now live in the post-John Stewart, post-Letterman amazing. age. Post-Leno age. Yeah. And uh, uh, I was at the Letterman show. And I was there with Lou. Lou was appearing on the show. And, uh, and I was there just as a buddy. The kind of buddy that undermines you by saying mean, wicked things. And I was telling the writers and Letterman, talks just like uh, Jerry Lewis. <laughs> everybody was going, yeah, he really does. Once you hear it, you can't unhear it. Now, did, did Lou Reed ever say, when I was with the Velvet Underground, there was not a word about Dean. <laughs> Dean Martin, nothing. Then Charlie Manson comes in and goes, Dean Martin wasn't in the Velvet Underground. <laughs> It's funny how often Jerry comes up on the show, and almost every guest after that we've had the laughs, you know, well, like with Leonard yeah. Malton, reveals that, and you, you too, oh, that he was yeah. a, that he was a hero, and that even when you're in his presence I, now, because I always will make jokes about Jerry Lewis. Has he ever but, seen you do your telethon bit? Uh, no. But <laughs> I, I, now we can tell that because your yeah. legs aren't broken. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but he's nice to you, isn't but, he? Yeah. I mean, they at at the Friars when they were naming the building after him, I went to that ceremony and and Jerry comes out and first thing he goes he goes Gilbert is anything all right and and I can't believe I'm like the first person he talks to I was amazed and then like 
he's there. He's like yelling out stuff when they're speaking about him, like just dumb shit. And then he'd laugh at his own joke, and he reached back and squeezed my hand. And I show us your hand. Yeah, we fought earlier that nipple and finger yeah, were the yeah, same to you. Yeah. Oh, nipple and but, lip. But he grabbed my hand, squeezed it, and I thought, oh my, this this is like like electricity. Don't forget to follow us on our Facebook page, Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast, on Twitter at Real Gilbert ACP, and on Instagram. Gilbert Podfried, P-O-D-F-R-I-E-D. You see, it's kind of a pun on the last name. Ah, never mind. It was amazing. I've told this story before, so I'll tell a slightly briefer version. I, I haven't told it on, on your podcast. But I was backstage with um, Belzer, Provenza, Stephen Wright... And one other person. And we were backstage at the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival. And Jerry Lewis was coming in that night to speak. And we were way at the end of the hall. So the stage door is at one end, and we're backstage at the hall at the other end. And the four or five of us are clustered around there. And I have gotten on my high horse. Oh, yeah. And I'm saying, we're all excited about Jerry Lewis coming in here. And Jerry Lewis, I mean... What do we got? The stuff with Dean Martin is brilliant. 18 months of the biggest stars in the world. And then essentially just a guy doing Perkadan and just a uh, a, uh, self-righteous, pompous, talentless fuck. And we all still kiss his ass and blow him and pretend he's a big, big star. And he actually had 18 months in the 50s and he was good. And you guys are all excited about him coming backstage. And it's just total bullshit. I mean, we should not give respect to a washed-up drug addict. At that moment, at the other end of the hall, the door opens. Jerry's standing there, and Jerry looks to the end of the hall and goes, Pantella, and I'm dangerously near you. (laughs) And he walks across the whole hall, and he gives me this hug. And I start crying uncontrollably. I mean, not just a little bit of tears. I'm sobbing. And I'm saying, Jerry, you're the the greatest comedian that ever lived. You're the biggest influence in my life that I've ever had. I mean, I love you. I just, I just, I just love you, Jerry. And he goes, well, well, thank you. And I go, I mean, every movie you've ever done, and you're still as great today as you ever were, and I just love the stuff you've done. I just love you, Jerry. I just love you. My mom and dad and I would go to your movies. No one means more to me in the world. And Jerry goes, well, thank you, because he just said thank you, not who are you again. And Jerry walks away, and I'm standing there. I mean, it's not a little bit of moisture in the eyes. It's full tears running down my cheeks. And my glasses, with that sprinkle you get when you cry, you know, explosively, my glasses are covered. And I'm watching him walk away. He walks over to tell her. And I'm standing there dumbfounded. And then suddenly, reality rushes back. And I turn around, and I look Stephen right in the eye. And he looks at me, and I realize he is looking at pure, unadulterated evil. (laughs) And I look at Belzer, and they're looking like they have never seen pure hypocrisy and pure lying hate. 
they just think he, we've just watched him trash this person mercilessly and now he's crying and hugging him. I have never seen such pure evil up this close. And they're just looking at me and none of them says anything. And they're not even smiling because, you know, you can laugh at a certain level of hypocrisy, yeah. but another level, you know, you're just, it gets to Donald Trump. You're just dumbfounded. Yeah. And I go, I, I, uh, <laughs> I didn't know I was going to react like that. <laughs> another brilliant, brilliant comeback. That's well, a real moment. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. Well, and then I, we went on talking and they said, uh, yeah, we know. And they had all met him before. And I said, all of that that I said, even when I was telling the story, I can no longer feel it because I met him. And then, you know, I've flown on a plane with him. And when we were landing, he put the cup in his mouth and, oh, yeah. <laughs> and did all that. And um, I have never felt more like I made it in show business than when Jerry Lewis looked me in the eye and said my name. Harrison Ford. (laughs) And I, I, well, I know it's like, because I always do jokes making fun of him. And when, anytime I've met him, I'm five years old, sitting with my parents, watching The Nutty Professor. I know. Yeah. It's like I'm transported back in time. It's more than that to me. It's I'm begging my parents to take me to the movie again. Yes. You yes. Because, you know, you, you, my mom would not see a movie more than once. My mom had a book, you know. And my mother, if there was a movie on in 1971 on TV, an 11 o'clock movie or something, and my dad was excited about watching it, she would go back to the book and she would say, Sam, we saw this in 1948. And my dad would say, I remember nothing about it. My mother would say, me neither, but we've seen it. We're That's not going to watch she it again. She kept a diary of all the films that she had so seen. Do I. Wow. So do I. Wow. And, but my mother, That's cool. and even now, when I start to watch Taxi Driver again, I think of how horrified my mother would be. Oh, yeah. My mother, especially as she got older, hated old things. She just wanted things that were new. And she hated antiques. She hated all that stuff. And she hated reruns. And I remember when we were doing Sin City Spectacular, the Penn and Teller show in the 90s, toward the end of my mom's life. My mom died the first day of 2000. Um, so this was like 90, I need, sorry, I need Glenn, 95, 96, we were doing this. And um, she, uh, she uh, we had been doing Sin City Spectacular, which was a big deal. It was Penn & Teller's Sin City Spectacular. It was on uh, FX Network. It was you know, a real show that we were producing and writing and starring in. And we had done our 22 episodes. And it was the first week of repeats. And I called my mom the next day. And I said to my mom, well, well you know, our show was on last night. And she said, yeah, your father wanted to watch it, but we've seen it. <laughs> So we watched Christopher Reeve doing Rear Window. Oh, that's so funny. And I said, but mom, you saw Rear Window. And she said, not with Christopher Reeve. And I like him. He's such a good-looking man. I said, he's in a wheelchair. He broke his neck. And she said, well, we've seen Sin City. Unbelievable. That was the end. My dad would want to watch video of his son over and over again. And my mother would be, he's wonderful, but we've seen that. Oh, here's something I wanted to ask you that's off the topic. 
But I've never been able to speak to the dead, unfortunately. Of course you can speak to the yeah. dead. They just can't speak back. Yes. <laughs> Try it now. Say something to uh, yeah, Bella yes. Lugosi. <laughs> <laughs> now, can you show me how to speak to the dead? Sure. Yeah. Hey, Bella. <laughs> That's all you got to do. But what are some of the tricks to talking to the dead? Um, when people go... Uh, well, there's, there's many different levels. Yeah. Because one-on-one is very different than a group. I'll tell you a story that, uh, uh, of John Edward. And this is secondhand. A friend of mine, Jeff McBride, told me this story. But he was playing in all of this. Uh, all the details are important. John Edward was doing a, uh, uh, the showroom in Atlantic City. So over 1,000 people, maybe well over. You know, a few thousand people. And he's going to do readings. So he comes out with a microphone, Jersey, yeah. okay, Atlantic City, and he says, does Greece mean anything to someone <laughs> in the audience? Does Greece mean anything <laughs> to someone in the audience? And somebody raises their hand and says, my, my mother just passed away, and she loved that movie. <laughs> And John Edward goes, no, I meant the country. Now, that shows he's not good at his job. Yes. <laughs> in, a crowd, in a crowd of 2,000 people Funny. who have all come. I mean, South Park covers this very well. You see the South Park John oh, yes, Edward episode? Yes, they lay it out perfectly. Um, I'm getting the sense of someone with an R in their name. 2,000 people, all of them grieving. There's an R there somewhere. But on one-on-one, and we both lost our parents, so you know, if you believe this, you know, all the tricks seem obvious if you don't believe. But if you do believe, and I've listened to the tapes, the raw tapes, when someone tells you he told my mother's name, what her favorite hobby was, everything else, uh, you then listen to the raw tape, and the tape is remarkable. Because all the person wants to do, the victim, is talk about the person they loved. So you say, I get the sense of your mother has passed on. And you go, yeah, she had cancer and she was only 63 years old when she died. And my brother and I loved her. And I see that your brother is also grieving. (laughs) I mean, they really do say back what you've heard. And um, I do this, exper- this experiment you can do, which you can't do because people know you. But <clears throat> if you aren't known, when you go into a conversation with someone, say you're sitting on an airplane. I don't know why I look at you as unknown. You're a little known. But, you know. Yeah, I, get you, you. I got the idea. Once, once in a while, you're sitting on a plane with someone who has no idea who you are. And when you sit next to them, if you decide to engage in a conversation, and all of us fly enough that we probably don't. We probably pull out a book and you know, pull out our iPad and we don't inter- interact with the person. I haven't flown in 12 years. Is that true? But I get the idea. But, but, but if you were to fly, yeah. uh, many people for whom flying is a special deal are excited. We'll talk to the person next to them. There's an experiment you can try that I found that I used to do you know, in the 70s and 80s when I was first really studying this stuff. When you go sitting next to a stranger... If you look at what your mind is doing, your mind spends all this time trying to 
establish what you are going to say and what image you want to project to that person. If that person is a possible business for you, possible sex partner, possible flirting, a possible friend, you're, you're, you're representing a different thing and how you want to be seen and how you're feeling that day. So as I'm talking right now, uh, in this very artificial environment of having microphones in front of us, you're constantly listening to every word and seeing if there's some uh, hook you can get or some joke or somewhere you can go. But even in a less uh, charged situation, you're still doing that. I used to try this experiment of sitting next to somebody and saying, I'm going to try to do nothing but get all the information possible from them in as short a period of time as possible. So first we look at the shirt, you know, how your sleeves are rolled, how much the shirt costs, whether you're in first class, whether you're in coach, whether you're wearing any rings. If you've got a watch, how much the glasses cost, how your hair is cut. Now that's stuff that is all available instantly. And yet if you're thinking about yourself, you don't really get all of it. You know, your hand gestures. I don't mean, you know, studying body language and this means you're closed off and this means you're open. I mean just the stuff that's meant to be told. You know, like you, you telling me you're listening to me and, you know, you get all that stuff. And then have them talk. And in three questions that aren't even directly that question, you can always tell if they're married or not, what their income bracket is, what they do for a living. And if you just follow up on what in the sentence they really are interested in, you can find out in an hour flight everything about a person. Now, we live in a culture, and perhaps all cultures, where the interaction people have is that way. Now, uh, I, I've always said that talking to the dead and fortune-telling is a feminist issue. And you can't get feminists, uh, many feminists, to agree with that. But most of the victims, the overwhelming majority of the victims, are women. And one of the reasons, I believe, is that we have a culture that doesn't listen to especially women who are tending to children and watching out for the family who don't have a career. So mostly the victims of this are just below lower middle class or middle class with enough money to be preyed upon but not enough money to be wealthy and who are maybe holding down a part-time job and taking care of children. They sit down in a room for an hour with someone who's just paying attention to them. Yeah. (laughs) And they just pour out their hearts. So the answer, the very, very sad answer, whenever someone tells me, how does this fortune-telling and talking to the dead work, the answer you want is you want some sort of clever tricks. And, And I have those answers. But the real answer is one word, and it's the saddest word possible, which is loneliness. Well, I I heard with, like, con artists who want to get people to invest and, you know, just take your money. Uh, Their their easiest prey is old people. It's always old people. Old people, they don't have friends. Their family doesn't talk to them. You know, well, what, you know, when David Mamet, David Mamet's one of my favorite writers, but he writes these shows about scams. And it's always being run on young, vibrant people, and it's Steve Martin, it's all this, because that's where the storytelling is. But the real cons are all elder abuse. Because they're lonely. Very lonely. You know, you, you know this horrible, horrible grandfather 
grandmother scam, which is just, and it it runs all the time and it works perfectly, is um, you uh, simply by reading a newspaper or by surfing the web, you find someone who has a grandchild in their 20s. Really not hard to find. And you find that grandparent's home phone number. And you call up, cold call, and you say, hi, granddad, this is Bob. Oh. Okay? And with bad hearing and with bad memory and a lot of grandchildren and you have the name, they often don't make the voice. And then you say, I was uh, traveling and I got robbed and I can't get in touch with mom, and I need $1,000 right now. Can you wire it to Western Union in Wyoming right now? And they say, I don't know how to wire money. And you say, well, let me tell you how to do it. Here's what you do. Take out your credit card. Do this. Now, is that going to work every time? No. The mother could be dead. There could be a piece of information you don't know. But how long does that call make to fail? Before someone says, fuck off, right? Five minutes, four minutes. So you can do 15 of these an hour. And you get one on the hook and you've got $1,000. And it's just loneliness. And and then uh, the mother calls up a few days later or maybe sadly in our culture a week and a half later. And the grandparent says, you know, Bob called and he was in Wyoming. And the mother says, Bob has a law practice in New Jersey. You know that. And you go, oh, yeah, I do. Well, he's visiting Wyoming, and he got, no, no, he wasn't, Mom. He wasn't in Wyoming. He's in his law practice. He's with his children. And takes a long time to unravel it. And then you've got maybe a phone record with a phone number from a payphone, and you've got a Western Union station in Wyoming with someone who came in and picked up a check and signed for it. And it's gone. And all of this stuff is based on, you know, the Jehovah Witnesses and those people. They come to the door. Who's got time to talk to them? I mean, me, I answer the door naked and say, come on in, let's have pie. (laughs) But um, (laughs) who has time to talk with them? And the answer is, you know, elderly. And, you know, the people in our society, and that's the thing, you read all these books about cons. And you get, if you're in magic, you get really excited about poker cheats and, and gambling cheats and uh, people that run these scams and how clever they are. And isn't this brilliant? And isn't this wonderful? And then you start getting into the trenches and you realize these are people that come and try to run a scam on old people. And if the scam doesn't work, they punch them in the face, knock them down the stairs and take all their silver. I, I mean, it's the only skill they really have is the skill of immorality. It's fascinating what you're saying about that, that de- well, not, not to use the, that demographic of, of women, of middle-aged women, lonely women, mm-hmm. falling prey to those kinds of psychics. Sure. The word feminist includes so many people that it's, it, it's an unfair term to use. But there are some people who are self-declared feminists that I've said to them, this is a feminist issue. You know, if, if we have someone who is targeting women, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, 
it certainly shouldn't be as high on your list as rape or taking back the night or date rape or safety, but somewhere on the list that should be there. And the answer I got in this particular case, I'm not trying to make a general statement. This particular case was, no, no, but women are more in touch with their intuitive side. They're more into fortune telling because they have a more sensitive side. And I go, no, these are people stealing money from them, stealing money and dignity and respect. This matters. Because part of women having power is knowing the truth and not having money taken from them. How can that not be part of your agenda? We don't want to deny the, the, uh, the intuitive side of women. Yes, you fucking do. Yeah. You do want to deny case. that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you know what gets me, too, with all these people who speak to the dead or read minds is that thing where they'll go, okay, is there a Joe or a Susan or a Bill and they'll go, uh, oh, my name's John. Yeah. And it's like, John. And then you go, oh, my God, how did he know that? Yeah. Well, you said that, yeah. And you listen to the recordings, and it's amazing. Uh, one of the things that uh, skeptics groups do is if someone is a believer, they'll say, just please, when you go in, turn on your phone to record. That's all we ask you to do. Yeah. And completely be a believer. Completely be this. And then you go back on the tape, and you say, in the recording, tape, I'm yeah. Back in the yeah. last century. You go back to the recording and you say, you know, the first person to say the word John was you. The first person to say the word machinist was you. The first person to say that he loved Steppenwolf was you. They went on about it. Yeah. But you're the, and until you hear the recording, it's it's really amazing what the memory will do if you desperately want to believe. See, you know, uh I've heard recordings of uh People who are skeptics go into these things, and they're really, really funny. Because if you do this right, it's hysterical. Uh, when I meet a fortune teller, uh, when I used to, now they would not yeah. let me near them. Yeah. But you do this wonderful thing, which is very, very, very funny, which is we go in and you say, does the name uh, John or Susan or Bill mean something to you? And you say, well, you've said three names. Uh, which one of them? And what would it mean to me? <laughs> and then you say, uh, someone passed recently? And you say, this is interesting, because what you said was a statement, and yet you asked it as a question. Are you saying someone passed recently, or are you asking me if someone passed recently? Because if you're a hard ass, that's what you do, and they got fucking nothing. Nothing. And that's the thing they do. Uh, there, were, um, there were five people in your family. Now, everybody has five people in their family. Everybody. Because uh, mother, father, you, and a couple grandparents. Your two sisters, your brother, you, and your mom. Because dad wasn't around much. <laughs> Whatever you can do, you can alibi five. Someone always has a problem with their left knee. Uh, my favorite one that works is a cold reading, which is amazing because there's an overlap between cold reading and poetry. And then in poetry, we're looking for universals that we don't know are universals. In stand-up comedy, we're often looking for universals. I mean, Seinfeld yeah. is looking for universals that we don't know are universals. What is it with these? Uh, you yeah. know, that's what he's looking for. And so you can do stuff like this. Gilbert, I see you as... A young boy, eight or nine years old, you're in grade school, and you're with the other children, but in some sense, you're alone. 
you're feeling totally alone, and yet you're part of the group. You laugh with the other children. They talk with you. But there's something that keeps you a little bit separate. You're outgoing. You like to be the center of attention. But there's part of you that you hold to yourself. You're ambitious. You're a very ambitious man, Gilbert. But you haven't really done exactly what your potential would lead you to believe. You're very loving, but there's a part of you that you cut off from yourself. All I did there, all of that's true, by the way. All I did there was say something that's true for everyone. Yeah. Everyone feels alone. Everyone's part of the group. It's like And then my favorite thing is you're saying something and taking it back. You're very successful, not as successful as you'd like to be. You're outgoing, but there's a certain part of you that keeps to yourself. You're a very tall man, but you're also short. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like in horoscopes. I always love... Uh, Which, by the way, are true. Yeah, yeah yes, of course. they are. They'll say, well, oh, well, I, this is what I love with horoscopes. When someone will say to me, like, what sign are you? And I'll go, uh, Pisces. And they'll go, ah, I knew it. Well, if you knew it, why didn't you say you're a Pisces? Well, I've had people come yeah. up and say, um, I feel you're a, you're a water sign or a fire sign. Yeah. I go, okay, you've covered eight months of the calendar. Now. Yeah. <laughs> and which is it? But I have a story about that. Now, we've got to end, right? We're done. Oh, we've got a couple of minutes. Okay. okay. <clears throat> I want to ask you about Kreskin, too, if, if we have time. I need it. <laughs> <laughs> but I've told that story so many times. Uh, tell her. Oh, this is heartbreaking. You want to hear a sad, sad story? <laughs> yes. We were at a party. With Kreskin, okay? <laughs> and uh, have you ever met Kreskin? Yeah. I, uh, can I tell you a quick one? I, I, I ran into Kreskin, and I, this is the second I, time. Oh, so hoping you were driving a I car. I saw him. <laughs> and we, we shook hands, and he goes, Oh, Gilbert, where did we meet before? And I'm thinking, you're the amazing Kreskin. <laughs> But you, you, you skipped over how he shakes hands. Oh, yeah. He pumps your hand. He comes in painfully. hard. He pumps, his hand, pumps your hand painfully. What's that he about? Like he's really, going to rip your hand off. Yeah. And that's very well known. And also, even though Teller and I, uh, as amateurs and as professionals and publicly and privately, loathe him. <laughs> Well, this goes back to the ESP kid yeah. when you were a kid. He still comes up and pumps our hands. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay? So Teller walks into a room. Because, you know, I love Teller more than anyone in the world. <laughs> and Teller comes into a room, and Kreskin's on the other side of the room. And Teller looks over at Kreskin and looks at me. And he walks over to the table, right? And he comes back over to me, and he goes, Ben. And I go, what? And he goes, and he glances down at his own right hand. And his right hand, palmed, beautifully palmed, he has a chocolate eclair. (laughs) 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 And then he looks over at Kreskin. And he says, just waiting. Hilarious. And then Kreskin leaves the fucking party. But I gotta tell you, Teller gets full credit for that, even though even though it didn't happen. What was I was, I was just gonna tell the story about who? See, we lost the, you'd come you. You said the you were gonna tell a sad story about Kreskin. Oh, I was gonna tell a story about someone else. I just forgot the story I was gonna tell, and I wanted to end, I wanted to end with it. But it wasn't Kreskin. It was who else was I gonna tell? Damn, 
Another you, person. No who, one's yes. No, you loathe. Dead. No one's listening. No one's listening to me at all. Uri Geller. No, it wasn't Uri Geller. It wasn't Uri Geller. Uh, you remember what it was, BJ? That's part of your job. It was so interesting. Where so, I was just going to go on it. No, it was. Oh, you, we, do, we did horoscopes, and then we went to. Uh, oh, I was going to oh, tell. Oh, yeah. it, wasn't oh. a, it wasn't a sad story. It is a monstrous story. Yeah. <clears throat> so, a friend of mine, a woman, <clears throat> ran a production company in the early 70s. And at my uh, begging, she booked Bruce Springsteen to play. Now, Springsteen was not well known. She booked Springsteen to play. This is before Born to Run. Um, and it was going to be a concert, and she had me open for Bruce Springsteen. I had a two-person juggling act that did also clowning, and I was going to open for Springsteen. And then I had to do a thing with Ringling, and I couldn't be there that week, and I changed everything around, and then Springsteen canceled, and Richie Havens went in there. So I was going to open for Richie Havens. I was going to open for Richie Havens, not Springsteen. And this was amazing because I was a street performer and a circus performer, and I had never opened on a real stage. And this is in Jersey for about 1,200 people, which might as well have been Madison Square Garden. You know, 1,200 people, when, you know, we're the same age. So you can imagine in, in 74, Opening a theater for 1,200 people is a big, fu- at least for me, a big, big yeah. fucking deal. And Richie Havens in 74, this is just, you know, four years after Woodstock came out, big, big star. And he's there with his band, and I'm going to be the opening act. And I got hair down on my shoulders, and I'm wearing a certain amount of clown makeup, and I'm going to juggle, right? And I'm with my juggling partner, and we are going to, and you know, all I got to refer you to is Elbert Brooks' memoirs of an opening act oh, to know yeah. what it's like opening for Richie Havens. And that record, by the way, is already out, and I know that I'm going to go out for that kind of audience. So I am jacked up to high heaven, and my partner at the time is also jacked up because he believes that we're going to open for Richie Havens, and within three weeks, we will be headlining at all these kinds of places because they're going to absolutely love us. And I am that kind of jacked that people like me get. And still get opening on Broadway. But when I was 22, 21, I was bouncing off the walls. I mean, no one had more energy than me, and no one was more. <sighs> so we got our little 10 minute set we're going to do. And before the show, before we're going to go out, they tell us we're going to come backstage and meet Richie Havens. We're going to meet Richie Havens. And I'm like, wow. Because I, at this point, have not met anyone in show business. So you're in New York. So yeah. you knew, knew somebody in show business. I always say the first person I met in show business was me. You know, We had carnival people come through our town. But I never met one person who played in a band. I never met one comic, one juggler, one magician. My whole time growing up, till I left Greenfield, I never met a single person. So I had never met Richie Havens. I mean, really was meeting Brando at his peak for me. I mean, this is a big deal. But I'm an asshole, and that also figures into the story. <laughs> so there's a green room backstage, which I thought was just palatial. You know, it's real show business. And I'm going to meet Richie Havens. And we open the door, and it is the, I mean, it's, it's Cheech and Chong. It's the most marijuana smoke it's, you know, and I never smoked dope in my life. So it's astonishing to me how much marijuana smoke. And there is Richie Havens 
and Richie Havens, who did a record that was just each sign, each astrological sign. He did a song for each one of them. He is holding court. And he is telling them about each astrological sign. And the door opens, and we hear a little bit of him finishing up talking about, you know, uh, Sagittarius. And then the poor 20-year-old girl that I convinced to put her parents' money into booking him and having me open introduces me. This is Pete and Penn. They're going to be opening for you. And uh, I'm standing there, you know. Six foot seven, 180 pounds, skinny, you know, Joey Ramone, essentially, long hair, a little bit of clown makeup on, juggling clubs in my hand, uh, looking over all these stoned African-American faces, just the hippest people I'd ever seen in my life. And I go, hello, my name is, this, my name is Penn, this is, this is Pete, very nice to meet you, Richie. And Richie goes, see you can tell a lot from just looking at somebody. Like, uh, what'd you say your name was? I said, Pat. He said, Pat, what, what sign are you? And I said, well, Richie, uh, I'm an Aquarius. And he said, see, the second he comes in the door, you can tell he's an Aquarius. Aquarius is the water bearer. Aquarius is the one who is seeking and open. You can look in his eyes. You can know all about him being an Aquarius. You can tell all about that. And he does this whole little speech about Aquarius. And he finishes and I go, I'm actually Pisces. I was lying, asshole. (laughs) You know, this is all bullshit. And then a guy with a swastika on his forehead <laughs> comes hey, in and don't goes, Don't you understand? <laughs> you're, you're, you're opening for him. Yeah. Well, uh, there was uh, dead, dead silence. Yeah. And I go, March 5th, Pisces, not, not, not Aquarius. <laughs> uh, he would have said that it could be explained from, from any, any day oh, I gave yeah. you. This is This is... What it would have been. Well, we'll be opening for you. Uh, nice meeting you. I'm a, uh, I'm a big fan. Close the door. And my partner, who was not my partner after that night, <laughs> said, you just call Richie Havens an asshole? I said, well, no, no, no. Uh, he said, yes, you did. I said, no, I was making a point about astrology. He said, no, you said asshole. Richie Havens in the yeah, eye, who's yeah. letting us open for him, and said, no, asshole, I'm a Pisces. You also lied to him and embarrassed him in front of his entire band. I said, well, my point was about astrology. He said, no, your point was Richie Havens, who's given us a break, who's letting us open for us. You're an asshole. <laughs> I said, well, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess kind of. And then my partner hated me. And the woman who booked us hated me. And Richie hated me. I still believe his band secretly loved me. <laughs> Maybe one where you should have just said thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, you, know, you know what I love as far as fortune tellers is my favorite with tarot cards. There's the card of death. Yeah. And it's like, well... It doesn't mean someone died necessarily. <laughs> it could be the death of an idea. 
Uh, the death of... Uh, How's your gerbil doing? Yes, yeah. The death of a business venture. Or maybe you uh-huh. killed the pizza last yeah. night. Death of an erection. <laughs> he's taking a breath. He's, so much to ask you about, He's Penn. pulled all the attention. But we're, we're, we're going to go over to my podcast. We're going to go over your oh, podcast. Okay. We, we want to ask you about Arthur my... Penn. We had so oh, much, sure. Let's, had so let's go. Stuff. We'll do that on my podcast. Okay. So let's finish up the great colossal... <laughs> Oh, I, I want to thank you so much, Pendulette, for being on my show. I want to thank the newlyweds for running the engineering and hope they find a very affordable person of their sexual persuasion to enjoy on their honeymoon. I want to thank Frank, whose last name means Holy Father. That's I, guess right. I guess he's Frank Pope or something. I want to thank whatever bullshit network I'm on and make no money. My name is uh, Gilbert Gottfried. We'll insert the advertising link. If anyone wants to give me, what is it now? $500. I'll take it. I'll, I'll sell your fucking elixirs, whatever it is. This is the ultimate, colossal, amazing podcast with Gilbert Gottfried, and my dear friend, who I certainly owe a blowjob to, Pendula. And we will continue this exact interview on Penn's Sunday School coming up right next on a whole different network in a whole different city with all different ideas. We'll talk. Talk about the aristocrats. Thank you so much, Ben. And thank you, Gilbert. Always a pleasure. Thank you. You know, I always tell someone when they ask me, which they ask me often, who is the greatest comedian of our lifetime? I always yeah, answer I Gilbert see it in every interview when I thank do, you do so my much. research. Thank there it is. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Ben. 